So, um, you guys remember to pray for our missionaries, right? Because anybody that comes to Rhode Island and says, says that the roads are kind of like a dream, <laughs> they need prayer. Man, <laughs> that's terrible. Hey, um, you know, as Todd and Ann were talking, uh, both in the first service and in this one, it just strikes me uh, regularly when we have people come and share what they are doing and where they are living and, and kind of what they are, um, how they're investing of their own lives in places that sometimes don't even have the just essentials, the, the things that we just take for granted. I mean, if I, if I were to ask you guys, how many of you guys use clean water today? You know, how many of you guys drove on a decent road today? How many of you guys... Um, how many of you guys were not pulled over the, by the police looking for a donation? You know, I mean, because, because that's a regular part of life in, in different parts of the world. And just what they're doing to, um, to try and, you know, the technology is amazing how simple it is that they give, but it's amazing the difference that it can make in, in someone's life. And so um, just to be able to invest uh, however we can in, in those type of ministries of, of prayer and, and investing in just, you know, helping them get a truck. I mean, that's a big deal. So um, I just thank you guys for the report, for your being willing to come and to let us know kind of all that you're doing, but also, more importantly, for all that you do. So thank you for that. Um, so uh, this morning, I want to start out and just say, uh, you know, there are many times that people, and, and literally today, but uh, there are times that we'll be sitting right next to someone and we have no idea the amazing thing that they've done or that they will be doing with their life, right? They just look kind of normal, like an ordinary person, and yet somehow an opportunity opens up or God uses them and it, it's something that, that changes another life or changes the world. And, and uh, you know, in this world, that regularly happens. And every once in a while, we get to pay attention to it, right? We, we catch it. We catch them in the act of doing something amazing and we like throw a party for them or we have a celebration or we give them an award or something like that. So I wanna start this morning. I want you to imagine that you're in that place where you're getting that award, right? You're, you're in some kind of ceremony because you've done something amazing with your life and I know it's gonna happen. So um, you're, you don't have to think too far, right? So close your eyes and you're in that ceremony and hundreds of people have showed up, right? Because they've all become aware of it and all, all of us are there, Right? And, and your friends are there and your family's there and they're all there to watch you receive this recognition for this amazing thing that you've done. And just before you get up, the MC gets up and, and gives a short bio of your life and they get it completely wrong, right? I mean, everything from they mispronounced your name to they, they completely forget to tell what the thing was that you did that you're getting the award for and they're telling about hobbies that you don't even have and they're telling about influences in your life and they're naming people you don't even know Right? They just get it completely wrong. In that moment, would you at all feel compelled to get up and, and set the record straight? To get up and just say, you know, some of that might not have been exactly right. Because one of the things, we want people to know who we are. We don't want them to have these kind of, this misinformation, these, these false ideas, these false pictures about who we are. You know, I often imagine, I, I wonder if that's what God was doing in the passage that we're gonna be taking a look at. Because I, I wanna give you some background. Moses and the people of Israel, they're coming out of Egypt. And they've been in Egypt for several hundred years and they've been in slavery. And in Egypt, they were surrounded by people telling them 
what they thought about the gods, how many gods there were and what they were doing and what their names were and what they were all about and who they cared about and who they didn't care about. They're feeding them all this information. Doesn't it make sense that God very early on in bringing Moses and his people out of there would want to pull Moses aside and just say, hey, I want to get some things straight. I want to let you know in my own words who I really am. I want you to know who your God is. And that's what we find going on in Exodus 33 and 34. So if you would stand with me, we're going to hear these words that God spoke to Moses, but also that he speaks to us. Because this is important for us to know. This is our God. Exodus 33, 18 through 23, and then 34, 5 through 8. Moses said to the Lord, I beg of you, show me your glory. And the Lord answered, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name, the name of the Lord, to you. For I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see the fullness of all I am and live. So look, there's a a place on that rock near me where you can stand while my glory passes by. I will put you in the cleft of that rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand so that you can see my back, just not my face. So the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with Moses as Moses called upon his name. And the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed the Lord The Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sins, yet will not by any means consider things cleared that have not been cleared, but rather addresses the sins of the fathers found in their children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed down to the earth in worship. You know, I think that just like the Egyptians and just like the the Israelites in that day, there are many times that we have misconceptions about who God is. Do you agree with that? We are surrounded by people telling us about who they think God is and giving us pictures. It is good to have this place we can go to, this Exodus 34, 6, where God is giving in his own words, his self-description of the things that he wants us to know about who he is. If we want to know who God is, this is where we can look. This is where we can find it. Today's message is titled, Who is God? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you uh, this morning because we haven't had to Just find out on our own about who you are. We haven't had to dig and and search and and, and try and come up with our own, the way that we often see in science, where we have to put together theories and just work on them. And instead, you have come and made yourself known. You told us your name. You told us your, your character and your, just the, the essence of who you are. You told us what was important that we should know. And in your son Jesus, you came and lived that out in front of us. So we would have no doubt of who you are. And no doubt of 
the love that you have for us. So Father, this morning we ask that you would come and that you would, you would open our eyes that we might see a glimpse as well. We know that we can't, we, our minds aren't large enough to wrap around all of who that you are. But Father, we pray that your spirit would be embedding and weaving deeply into us those things that are important for us to know. Those things that you consider necessary to share with us about your character, about your name, about this person who has called us into relationship. So Father, make yourself known today. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill this place. You set this, this place in this time apart as holy, a place of, of God, a place of ministry, a place of revelation. Show us your heart, Lord, so that we might be changed, so we might go out reflecting that heart better to a world who needs to know you. We pray these things in Jesus' name for your glory by the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So throughout human history, people have had different names for God. You go around the world in different languages, different names for God. Our word for God, God, actually comes from an, an old and ancient German word, uh, Gudan. And what Gudan means literally is something along the lines of the one that we call out to, the one who we invoke, which is interesting given the passage that we're reading because it says that God came and revealed himself, revealed his character and his person to Moses as Moses called out upon his name. So literally, Yahweh, the Lord, was Moses' gudan. He was the one who Moses called out to. He was Moses' God. And, and very simply, that is an easy to remember, you know, just practical answer to the question, who is God? God is the one we call out to. And because of that, you have many people with many kinds of gods. But who is it that when you're in trouble, who is it that you call out to for help? Who is it when something amazing happens in your life that you turn to and you thank? Who is the one that when there's something that you need that's beyond your reach or there's a strength that you need that you do not have, who is it that you make that request of? Because that is your God. That is the one you call out to. Now, what some people think that means is that we get to kind of decide who our own, you know, who our own gods is, uh, are. And, and that very practically, that's what we do. That's who, what the Egyptians were doing in Moses' day. That's what the Romans were doing in Jesus' day. And that's what many people around the world and, and all around us are doing every day. They're determining for themselves who their God is. So some people are calling out to idols. Some people are calling out literally to spirits who are demonic. To help them. Some people, though, are they're just calling to medicine, or they're calling to science to help them, or they're calling to economics, or they're calling to their own strength, or they're calling to their own bank account to try and help them, or to help them celebrate when they're in times of need or celebration. But what that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that just because we call something a God, it doesn't make it a God. Just because we call out to something doesn't mean that that is the true God. And in Moses' day, God, God is misrepresented all the time. And so he comes alongside of Moses and he says, I want you to know who I am. I want you to know what I am really about. 
And you know, it's always good to have that place, that touchstone, that, that, that point of reference that we can go back to and we can know, you know what, when I get confused about who God is, I can go back to this place. And Exodus 34, 6 is one of those places where God, he chooses his own words. He says, I want you to know this is who I am. So it says, the Lord passed by in front of Moses and he proclaimed this, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness. You know, what's interesting is that as you read throughout scripture, how many times that description, that self-description by God is referred to by those who write over thousands of years in very different settings, but they go back to that and they say, we need to remember. And they keep encouraging the people of God. We need to remember this is who God is. This is the God who we know and who is has shown himself and revealed himself to us. This is like, this is our starting point. This is the cornerstone for our faith. This is that lens through which we see everything else. You know, last summer, uh, as we went through and we saw in the book of Jonah, we found Jonah referring to this, to this self-description. He was sitting outside Nineveh and he's complaining to God. He said, God, you've been too nice to these people. You've been too kind You should have just wiped them off the planet. They've been horrible. And he says, I knew that you were going to do this. That's why I took off the other way. Because I knew if they repented, you would relent from judgment. You would relent from bringing calamity on them because you are, and he quoted this. He says, I knew that you are a God who's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting from calamity. David would regularly refer to this description over and over in the Psalms. And so you find it, where, especially where he's talking about how we need to remember God's heart towards us so that we can be assured that he is always willing to forgive us. And so David in Psalm 103, verse 7 through 10, it says, The Lord made his ways known to Moses, and his acts were made known to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger abounding in loving kindness, and he will not always strive with us. He will not keep his anger towards us forever. He has dealt with, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor has he rewarded us according to our iniquities. So Psalm 145.8, Nehemiah 9.17, Joel 2.13, and then it spills over into the New Testament. You know, in the book of John, in the prologue, it says, how did we know that Jesus was this God living among us. He says, because to Moses was given the law, but in Jesus we found what? Grace and truth. We find these very characters and the compassion of God. We found the heart of God living among us in Jesus Christ. So over and over again, God's people are brought back and reminded of these words to remind them who God is in our midst. And who he has called us to be. You know, in our day, um, we have theologians. And they have plumbed the depths of scripture. They have circled the globe looking for philosophies that will give them insight. And maybe a different perspective to know. And maybe to expand this very simple description of who God is. Right? So they've come up with words like, 
Our God is omnipotent, which means that he is limitless in his power. He's omniscient. He's limitless in his knowledge of everything and his awareness of everything that's going on. He's omnipresent, which means that he can be everywhere all at once. He's eternal, which means that he can be in any and every time all at once. He's a, he is immutable, which means that he doesn't change. He's impassable. That means not even his emotions change him. He's impeccable. He's not subject even to the possibility of sin. He's self-existent. He's self-sufficient. He is transcendent. He is sovereign. He is mysterious. I mean, you look at that and we go, man, that's a list of, that's a lot of big words, right? That is a pretty impressive, I'd love to have that on my resume. Wouldn't you? You you go up and you say, well, this is who I am. And we've come up with an impressive resume for God. But the thing is, is when God had the opportunity to choose what words he wanted to say about himself, he chose the words of Exodus 34, 6. And granted, many of those things are true about what we found. This is who God is. But he chose to say, you know what I need and what I want you to know about myself is I am compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness. So what do these words mean? I mean, if God has gone to such great lengths to, to zero in on these, what, wouldn't it be important that we know what he's saying? Well, the first thing that he starts out with is he starts out with his own name, and that's important. He starts out, you know, sometimes you're reading along in the, in the Old Testament in, in a book like uh, Exodus, and, and you come across the word Lord, and it'll be all in capital, you know, all capital letters. And some people, they, sometimes we just pass by it. We don't even notice it, but look for it. Sometimes it's all capital. Sometimes it's capitalized just kind of like normal, capital L, and then uh, lowercase the rest. But every time that you find all caps, what's being spoken there is God's name. The name that he revealed to Moses. In, in Hebrew, it's, it's spelled Y-H-W-H, yod Hey vav Hey, and, and it means something along the lines of, it's pronounced something along the lines of, sounds like something like Yahweh. And so many, uh, many of you have heard that, that name pronounced that way. But this was the name that God revealed to Moses from the very beginning when he first came to him and said, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, well, who am I supposed to say sent me? And he said, tell them I am sent you. And that, that form of the verb to be, yod hey vav hey, is, is very likely, very probably a form of that verb. It means I am. I am the existent one. I am the one who not just is in the past or the future, but I'm in the present in all times. All. So many of these kind of descriptions of God that we've come up with and we've found and we've, we've written down, they, they come out of even just this name. But more importantly in that, he was, he was telling Moses, this is the name I want you to know, because I don't want you to just know me as this distant God who sits exalted in heaven. I am coming alongside you in covenant and in friendship. I want you to know me like I know you. And one of the reasons that the Jewish people, that they considered that, that name so um, holy that they, they didn't even want to pronounce it. 
So instead, they'd spell it wrong so that when you got to it, you go, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to say that name. And instead, they'd just say the word Lord. And, and so we've tried to translate some of that into our scripture so that when we come across that, we know that this is God's name. But what does that say about our God? He says, I am the Lord, the Lord God. Literally, it's Yahweh, Yahweh, a God who is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. But just the name, it tells us that our God is and will always be those things. And that he is the God who is and will always, who does and will always reveal himself to us for the sake of relationship. Not just to impress us with his resume. Not just to bedazzle us with all that he can do. But for the reason of engaging our hearts, calling us into friendship, into relationship with him. So here's the creator of all reaching down to his his creatures to us who are made in his image to say, you know what, I want you to know me as, as Lord, yes, as Savior, as, but as Father, as friend, as your God, as the one who walks with you that you call out to and I hear you. Next he says, this is the Lord who is compassionate. Now, back in 2018, I, I did a whole series on this passage. And I took it apart so we could really dig in. There's a lot to be found and a lot to be um, considered here. I mean, if you just kind of uh, meditated on this scripture alone and just said, God, show me, you know, did your digging, your research to find out what is he saying here? There's so much here. But suffice it to say, what we found there was that that first term, compassionate, is, is really is linked to that last term, abounding in faithfulness. And they come together to mean something where God is saying, you know what, I am relentless in my compassion. I'm not just compassionate towards you. I am relentless in my compassion. Now, compassion is already this huge word. It means, it means this kind of love that a mother would have for a child that she has literally carried in her own person for nine months. She has this, there is this, this visceral compulsion towards that child. There's this yearning, this, this drawing, and he says, that's the love that I have for you. And not only do I have that kind of love, but it is relentless towards you. It, is, it over, overflows in its faithfulness in how I consistently pursue and run after you in love. After this, he takes the second term and he links it with the second to the last term. So he says, it's gracious and it's a grace that's abounding in kindness. In fact, kindness is literally this word that means the out, kind of the, the, the manifestation of grace. And what he's saying is, is, is something along the lines of he is overflowing and his kindness is towards us that we didn't deserve at all, that we didn't do anything to earn. And yet they keep coming. His kindness keeps coming. You know, we find throughout the Bible that our God is the God who constantly gives good, good gifts to everyone, to the sinners and the saints. Right? One of the most amazing verses in, in Scripture is where it says, you know what? While we were still in our sin, 
And in our rebellion against God, that's when Jesus came. He doesn't wait for us to clean up our act before he shows his grace. In fact, his grace says, you know what? You didn't do anything to earn the good that I pour out in your lives. He says in that kindness, that goodness is overflowing, is abounding. We find that he surrounds us, not just us, but all of creation. He gives us life. He gives us breath. He surrounds us with his beauty. He gives us connection with others in relationship. He surrounds us with good things. And then to us specifically, he even gave us the gift of his own son. His son who would come and he would take care of, he would remove a debt that we couldn't pay, that we didn't even know we had. He would clear away walls that stood between us and God. He would open up the way for us to find a life we didn't know was even available, that we couldn't even imagine was available to us. It says that he offers us forgiveness, that he offers us this reconciliation, this adoption as his own children. Because he is a God who, in his graciousness, abounds, overflows with kindness. And then finally, this the central term among these five, which actually, I mean, it takes a while to unpack. We found that out in that 2018 series. But just let me tell you, it means, it means something like when God should have just cut loose with his anger, when God should have just unloaded on us his wrath because we did deserve it, when we had pushed God to the point that in all righteousness, in all justification, he should have just wiped us off the face of the earth. It says instead, he breathes deep and he dives back in with compassion, with kindness, and with grace. Because his heart is to win us back, not to wipe us out. His hope for us is that we will enter a relationship with him and discover the life that he meant for us, not that we would be destroyed. And in Exodus 34, he says, that is what's important. That's what I want you to know about who I am. We go, why? Right? I mean, if I were to choose between those two resumes, I'd probably choose the first one. Right? That's the impressive one. That's the one that bowls people over and they say, wow, I'm glad you're on my team. Right? Why? Why choose those terms? Why are those so important to God? I think there's, there's three main reasons. The first one is this. God revealed those things to us because his heart is first and foremost always about relationship with us. You read that other list of terms, and those will hold you at a distance from someone, right? They're omnipotent, they're omniscient, they're impressive and mighty, and they're transcendent and sovereign, and you're going, I have no business being in that person's presence. And instead, what he tells us is, you know what? When you mess up, I keep coming at you, and I love you with a love that will not let me go that will not let me abandon you or give up on you. And I pour out into your life a grace so that you might know my love so that you might turn. You know, Romans, it says that it's the kindness of God that turns us to repentance. 
It's not the threat of judgment. It's not the fear of hell. It's the kindness of God that turns us to repentance. Because when we see this God for who he is, we go, why would I ever run from that? Why would I ever not trust that he has my best interest in, in his heart and on his mind? Why would I not walk with him? So God wanted us to know that the main thing that he wants us to understand is that he is constantly pursuing relationship with us. It's the greatest gift he has for us. He is always seeking to restore. He is always seeking to redeem. He is always seeking to rescue so that we might know that life of walking with him, right? Talking with him, knowing him by name, calling out and hearing him answer that we might know that that life, the joy and the freedom of, of knowing what it means to be completely loved by God. Second, why did God use these terms? I think God's description, he lets us know the kind of world that we live in. You know, a lot of times people look out at the world and they say, this is a dangerous place, this is a horrible place. It's really, I mean, you gotta watch yourself because it's always out to get you. You guys... If you look a little bit closer, you'll, you'll realize that in the, the world around us, we see the very nature and heart of God. You go, well, how is that? What, what are you talking about, right? I mean, we've just gone through a pandemic. You go, how in the world do you do? How do you see the love of God in a place like that? You guys, the world's broken. We all know that. We get that. But I want you to think about something. You know, this world is constantly overflowing with, with good things. Just BJ mentioned the, just the sunrise this morning. I mean, do you realize we wake up every morning and the sunrise is different every single time? And at the same time as our sunrise is somebody else's sunset. And at the same time as our sunrise and their sunset is somebody else's midday. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing how much beauty there is in this world. And that's just the sun. But then beyond that, you know, I was thinking about just the way that this world responds to us and how oftentimes we even find the very patience of God woven into creation. We regularly, we approach this world as if it's ours to exploit. It's ours to use. It's ours to do whatever we need to do in order to get what we want out of it. We, we approach it with selfishness. And you guys, we have been pumping just filth, pollution into the air and into the sea and into the land. We have been tearing the land apart. We have been destroying those things that actually make the air that we breathe. We have been, we have been um, pumping filth into ourselves, We've been destroying our bodies. We've been destroying the food chain that we depend on. And yet, the whole thing, it, it, it's been decades. It's been hundreds of years. It hasn't collapsed. It keeps absorbing. As if to say, you know what? I'm gonna give you a little bit more time to maybe so that you can turn and you can do things differently, that you can do things right, that you can learn your lesson and you cannot be, you can recognize that this is a mutual kind of, a mutual blessing kind of thing. In our relationships, 
It's amazing to me. It's not amazing to me that we hurt each other. Of course we do. We're broken. We're, we're a mess, right? What's amazing to me is how people can make space for reconciliation. That's amazing. That somehow that patience, that, that, that I can even use that illustration of just saying, God breathes deep and he dives back in, right? And we go, oh yeah, I know. I could be doing that too. That's phenomenal. How is that possible? How is it possible that a relationship can become so broken and still there is always hope that it can be restored? All it would just take is the people to kind of grab hold of that gift that God has given them, of his own, his own character that's been woven into not just ourselves, but all of creation. We would make room and time. You guys, we live in an amazing world that reflects the very compassion and grace and patience and overflowing kindness and faithfulness of God. And we're part of that creation. So we see those things at times. We see it in each other. And that's really the third thing. The third thing is that God told us these things because he wanted us to know who we are and what we're here for. In Genesis 1, it says that God created human beings, men and women, in the image of God. So we were made to reflect the very image of what he describes, how he defines himself in Exodus 34. You know, in the book of Ephesians, at the end of chapter four, in the beginning of chapter five, he says this. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for that day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. There's kindness. Tenderhearted, there's compassion. Forgiving each other, there's that patience just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And by this, be imitators, reflectors of God. As his beloved children, walking in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us all. So we imitate God. We reflect God by the way that we live. That's what we're called to be. That's, that's the life that he intended. It is, it's not about reflecting his omniscience, his transcendence, his, his sovereignty. His, I mean, those might come out at times. That's fine. But he said, no, this is what I want you to know because this is the character. This is the person that I've made you to be so that we would know and make known as we walk with him, the one who made himself known to us through the words, the Lord, the Lord God, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, faithfulness. So I wanna leave you with a couple of questions, just things that we can take and maybe put this into practice. The first one is this, are there people in your life right now who God is calling you to be relentlessly faithful, relentlessly compassionate towards, to not give up on them, to continue to just 
be compelled towards. He's given you this compelling towards them for their good. Are there those people that God has called you to pursue them with the very love of God? Second question, are there those people in your life that God has blessed you um, in abundance so that you might graciously give, that you might graciously overflow in kindness towards them? Now, a lot of times we think of like monetary or, or, or material types of ways that we bless people's lives, but that can be something as simple as just forgiveness. You have been given an abundance of forgiveness in Christ and you have the opportunity to at times turn to someone and say, you know what, out of that abundance, I give forgiveness to you. I don't ask anything back, I let it go, I just, I release it. Are there those who God has called you to be abundantly, overwhelmingly, graciously kind towards? And the third is this, are there those, this is a tough one, who God has allowed you to be hurt by so that you might be able to breathe deep and dive back in with compassion and kindness. That's a tougher one, isn't it? But we're called to reflect the very nature of God. That's who we're called to be because that's who the God who called us into being. That's who he is. Amen?